Hey, it's Jay, and I've taken Roleplay Rescue 130 miles east from Nottingham out to the city of Norwich, home of Cat's Rebellion, of Coleman's Mustard, and of course, the place where I grew up. Why? Well, I want to have a bit of chat with me dad. My name's Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue. Growing up, I was introduced to tabletop hex and chip board war games from a very early age. The source of my wargaming roots came from my father's interest, but I've never been entirely clear on how he got involved. While I delved off into role-playing games around you know, 1980, Dad had always been a wargamer, and this was an interest that served as an anchor home through most of my life. Given my own exploration of the history of role-playing games hobby over the past few years, I began to feel curious about the roots of my own gaming. Returning home, I wanted to ask my dad about his own journey into gaming and try to glean insight into my own appetites and preferences. Dad was kind enough to agree to let me record the conversation, and so, having driven home to spend a couple of days during the school half-term, I set up my old Blue Yeti mic and a laptop on the dining room table. Dad had dug out several magazines and games, those products which had been influential and interesting to him over the early years. These were the wargaming magazines that were around me and which I read and explored growing up, plus key games that we had enjoyed back in the day. What I discovered is a deep connection between my role-playing game preferences today and the early experiences I had with simulation war games from about 1977 to 1989. This episode is a recording of that chat with my dad. We're sitting at the dining table at the family home, looking over old stuff together, and I hope you'll forgive the vibration from the table that the mic occasionally picks up, because the conversation was interesting, offering a connection back to my early teenage experiences. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks up front to Dad for agreeing to be recorded. And the first question was the obvious one. How did you get into wargaming? Well, I think I read somewhere about the book by Donald Featherstone on the Solitary Wargamer mm-hmm. and bought a copy of that and read that and thought, this is of interest. And so one of the things he had in there, because they were easily available at the time, were Airfix, Airfix figures, mm-hmm. where you could buy a box of figures, there'd probably be 30, 30 or 40 figures in the box at a very reasonable price. Uh, and they, you could get Napoleonic uh, ancients, which were the only ones you could get, were ancient Britons and Romans, and uh, American Civil War. Uh, and of course, the scale he used for that one was one figure was 33 characters, which is quite convenient. And artillery, one gun would be represent a battery of six, which you usually put on a, a triangle uh, base, which took the size up, and you work from that. You could buy sets of rules, or he gave some rules, and mm. that, that was the earliest bit I got. Uh, so when was that? That would be probably about 69, 70, I should think, so okay. we've gone back quite a long time. Mm. Uh, and I, I did that for, got quite interested in that, but one of the problems with it is, with figure wargaming, is, is the space, mm. even at that scale. Uh, and of course you you need a flat surface really a table and because it's not very aesthetic you could mm. you could buy well, which i did but you could buy bits and pieces of scenery if you like mm. uh to represent bunkers or trenches or walls uh to put something into it and, and uh model railway stuff because mm. be the same scale and, and that was that was reasonably satisfactory so uh, are you doing that what the time when you were in the forces oh yeah yeah that's sort of because I had the time to could do it when I first had the thing, uh, and that that was all right. But the ancient the ancients one were were not particularly 
good because because you could only get ancient Britons, mm. you couldn't do. I mean, their, their tactics, if they had any tactics, didn't weren't particularly interesting. Mm. Uh, you at that time you couldn't buy um, an army other than than the Romans. You couldn't try something different like the Persians, mm. which 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 you probably could now. But it, but it worked up right up to a point. Mm. Uh, some of the, the rules I had for the ancients were very detailed, uh, and so for instance, if if one unit charged another one, they allowed in there for the shock, and for one, the, the stationary unit would be pushed back. You'd have to allow for that because mm-hmm. you, because you did it all with a tape measure or measure, so you were constantly move. That's well, very laborious. You move all the figures back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, with a scale of thirty-three to one, you you don't only take a complete figure out when for your casualties. Yeah. Uh, but but that that, that worked. Uh, you you could do campaigns. I, I used to have a system where you'd have a campaign, and so a proportion of the units that had been destroyed before, you, you could feed them back as reinforcements later on. Mm. Uh, but, and that was fair enough. Uh, and then I. I I think I remember, I used to take a magazine, I used to build military models. Mm-hmm. I guess I found an advert in a military model magazine for a board war game mm-hmm. from a company called Strategic Publications. Yeah. And the first one, as I remember buying, was Barbarossa, mm-hmm. which was obviously the German invasion of, of Russia. Uh, and you had a map which was on quite, quite thick paper. Uh, and... Counters would be about about a centimetre square, uh, printed uh, with with the symbol. We usually use NATO symbols, but to be obvious, which was armour or armoured infantry or infantry. Mm. Looking at it, there's no scale on it, which is rather odd. But but it allowed you to to do something a bit different, and and, the, and it was quite playable. Mm. And they also built into a lot of what ifs, which were quite good because for an instance I remember looking recently was. If the Germans hadn't produced cars, which they did during the war, what difference that would have made if they'd have, mm. if they'd have built tanks and armoured personnel carriers? It makes a big difference. What if they started two or three weeks earlier, which was the original plan? What difference would that make? Uh, and they they also had in units to represent the minor, the, the, the Hungarians, the Romanians mm. and the Italians. Uh, and you could either play uh, particular battles or bits of the campaign all the all the entire thing right through to the to, to the end mm. but i found that quite good because the the map was was probably three foot two foot mm. you could put it on a table you had the counters uh and everything was worked out quite well and we're sitting here with it in front of us in fact yeah. you can hold the baggie yeah. which survived the uh, years and of course people i think people in the family laugh because they used to keep the piece in mm. cheese boxes from yeah. uh cheese triangles but but you had uh, r- the rules were, f- were fairly complete, yeah. uh, and so you, if you want to move a unit, the the, the uh, thing would show that the uh, a figure for the strength of the unit mm. in a offensive strength, a defensive strength, and a movement point. Mm. Uh, so in that, mechanized units obviously move fast further than a, than a foot unit. There were rules in there for weather, which would, would include mud, particularly in in in, the, in this this mm. campaign, which would bring things almost to a standstill. Supply was built into it. You had to supply a supply source, and some of the supply units could be moved. Uh, in the periods of mud, for instance, you had to have the supply unit next to the unit you were using, but otherwise, mm. it, otherwise it wouldn't be able to move. There was air power was built into it. Mm. Uh, and below it was rather very large scale, but it was playable and was quite entertaining. Mm. And then I, I subscribed to the magazine. They used to bring a magazine out every month, mm. and each each magazine would have a main subject. The first one I pulled out is the Punic War. So this is the Strategy and Tactics magazine. Yeah, so there'd be quite a good detailed article about the Punic Wars and mm. a game to go with it. And then there'd be other articles on war game in, yeah. in the magazine yeah. uh, so this one's from November December 1975 awesome okay yeah so we've got like well, look, we're looking here at three maps of the sort of the wars three different periods of it really and then like you said the big article and then you get a game with it basically yeah 
Okay. Were the rules in the mag or were that or were that separately? They were separate. Yeah. Well, like, there was a pull-out section would yeah. would be the be the rules for the game. Yeah. And the uh, subject would be all sorts. There'd be this one's Punic Wars. Mm. Another one would fall of Rome. Another ancient one. Mm. Uh, Wolfpack was U-boot warfare. Uh, yeah, I remember them. Sixth Fleet, Westwall. Uh, yeah, they'd be, uh, and some of them were theoretical ones. One is oil wars, which would be obviously in in the, the Arabian bits and pieces. And an interesting bit in this bit at that time, Iraq was a friendly nation. Yeah. Uh, and in some of them, they Iraq would be probably geared up to defend against Russian mm. interference. Uh, some of them were theoreticals. There's one there, a, a, threat, a war between another American civil war with the southern states fighting the northern oh, wow. states, mm -hmm. but in the now, or mm. now at, at the time. Uh, they varied in scale. Some of them would be, like the, the one for Hastings, was obviously just the one battle, but, mm. but quite detailed. Or they could be much bigger. Mm. Uh, one of the things which which eventually put me off it a bit was they they did get bigger and bigger, mm. and fewer and fewer things of my interest, and so I drifted away from them and and started to buy or already been buying. Mm. Other companies came in. The biggest one was Avalon Hill. I would be yeah. probably the best known ones. That the where these maps were paper, a local quite good quality paper and card. The Avalon Hill ones were on really substantial board, folded, nicely printed, nice colours, mm. thick counters and very detailed rules. Yeah. And often they would have three levels. You had a basic game, which was obviously quite playable. There was an intermediate level, which brought in some more rules and possibly mm. more pieces. And then a, a detailed, more detailed one, advanced rules, where it would get very quite complicated. You really needed mm. to read the rules but brought in more more realism into it. And another one, some of them would go in, I've got one there, Battlefleet Mars, which oh, is yeah. obviously a, a space battle game. Yeah, some SPI, isn't it? Uh, I remember this. One of the things that attracted attention at the time was it has the planets in our universe, mm. and they, it takes into account each one's orbit. So if you're sending a, a craft from one planet to another mm. or trying to intercept another craft you've got to allow for that yeah. orbit bit so you could end off if you hadn't got hadn't got it correct you you just miss them and go drifting off yeah um, I, remember, I remember that's because this looking at the map here it's got a lot of different tracks of how many days it takes yeah for to every planet to go around yeah and i can remember us tracking those counters yeah. around and yeah lots of lots of fun had with those over the years so I remember, you know, I remember like late 70s and early 80s playing games with you. So, um, I mean, my entire um, hobby is owed to starting with wargaming. That's what I wanted to talk about. I mean, of particular memory for me was um, Panzer. And obviously, we've got a copy of Armour on there as well. You know, 88, we used to play yeah. a lot. Um, I also remember Squad Leader being something we played a fair bit of. Um, I'd forgotten about the Arab-Israeli wars, but I hadn't forgotten about City Fight which um, was also very interesting. Yeah, City Fight was one of the obvious problems with the, with the board war game is mm. that you can see everything mm. and it's very difficult to do any form of concealment. Uh, you, you can't, for instance, have a unit hidden in the woods suddenly pop up. With mm. City Fight, they tried to get around that by each player having his own map mm. so you could sit well apart and you only had on, on your map your units and what you knew of the enemy units yeah. and you have to ask a question as to what kind of from here can I see anything in that mm. hex or mega hex and at a certain distance your opponent would have to say well yes you can see three vehicles but, did, yeah. to, but if it was as it came closer he would say well this is three trucks or it's three T62s and you got on from that yeah. they also took more in in the advanced rules height because because it's a city fight you could go up to eight stories mm. and of course that obviously the higher you got the more you could see but of course it slows down the game a bit because you're constantly trying to calculate what can you see that can you not yeah. but but that was a, a quite a good one for that and they could yeah. they could have in that uh, there was 
a map of a, of a town, but of course you can put it to any part of the world, and again, mm. almost any any time period within the sort of twentieth century. Mm. So there's you could have a Vietnam set thing with mainly foot foot soldiers, or you could have a, an armoured thing, or mm. a sensible one would be an armoured reconnaissance unit, two wrecker units, and that that worked fairly mm. well. So I remember that being quite influential on me because it was the first time I really came across this idea of without having a referee or an umpire, two players having completely hidden setup, and you really didn't know what you're going into. So you're moving your um, reconnaissance units forward, and you bump the enemy, and you know it, it. It was it was good. It was tense, you know, as a game. I can remember us playing with walkie-talkies mm. or and such, and. So one of us in one room or the other end of the room or whatever and playing with that which is great fun but for, for me specifically that was about this idea of hidden the fog of war really becoming more mm. and more a feature of the gaming that we had I found that very intriguing obviously now in what I do with role playing where you know the referee is entirely has all the knowledge and players ask questions and explore you know it's verbal um, I think I see the roots of that interest in, in that game specifically as much as any others it's, it was good stuff the biggest one I had was Waterloo, mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately it was so big it's, it was almost useless because there were four large maps <laughs> and hundreds of counters because it was a, a sort of battalion-level strength for the, for the units. And the only time I managed to do it was on a, t- a table tennis table mm. and laid the four maps out. Uh, and of course the other problem with the counters is particularly sort of as one counter, but often you had to have... The counters piled up. There might be a, a counter that might have a marker on it saying it was disorganised or was mm. getting short of ammunition. You could have three or four counters piled up, and because there's paper and they're folded, the, you jog the paper and the <laughs> counters would fall over. Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd mounted them on thicker card, but it, but it was really too too big to be practical. It was easier to play the, the smaller games. There was a, a sub game in it for La Haison. Oh. Another one for the Hougamon, so you could. They mm. another one for Plansnoir. They they were playable on one map, uh, which was the normal size, mm. and you still had all the detail because it was extremely detailed, particularly with cavalry because you could have. Uh, they had a, a, a set of rules in there, so if a cavalry unit started to move, particularly in the charge, it could be countercharged by the opponent, and there would be a delay there, and the, and the, you'd have to sort of work out quickly in your head whether your interceptor unit would meet the one that was moving mm. as as would happen for, for real or whether they'd hit them at the right angles and, and that was because it was so detailed was particularly good but uh, because when this is where the computer systems beat up because you didn't have to do all the faffing about piling all the bits and pieces up mm. particularly when you because you could uh, you could break a unit down so if it was battalion level you could break it down to three counters, one for each company. You could have three companies. Mm. You could have other. You could break down for skirmishes, so you'd have more counters, on, more and more counters on mm. the, on the board for the subunits, and that also had supply built in. And of course, the uh, line of sight need to be worked in, particularly for Waterloo, because there were sunken roads and buildings. Mm. And but but again, you couldn't have any deception. Uh, that that was probably a weakness of all. The, all the board games. Mm. Another big one is Flat Top, which is carrier warfare in the Pacific. They did it. They managed it in there to a certain extent. Was a, you could only see if you had spot aircraft. Out, the, the opponent would have to say, "All right, you can mm. see something there." So you were playing blind to that extent. But again, the same thing applied. The, the number of counters you needed, particularly once you launched aircraft, mm. you'd have so many counters you were trying to keep track of. It was you took your dining room table up you, yeah. you need the table for days which was not much fun for the rest of the family <laughs> uh and not much fun for you too if someone jogged the board either so mm. we, you, you were there but i have this memory of you having perspex sheets you laid on top of the maps to help them is that yeah do i remember that yeah. correctly to, to try and get around that one so you mm. sort of hold the the paper down the board down mm-hmm. tight because when they, the armor game the advantage of well, several advantages over the usual ones yeah. was you have the tank chassis and then the turret was a, was a tiny circle with the yeah. drawn out but that could be turned obviously so yeah. you you had it you could see it on the board that he can't fire at that because the turret's not facing there and they also they had a card for each model of the of the vehicle with an, again an enormous amount of detail the, the armor from the front the side mm-hmm. the rear 
and the, the gun there'd be the main gun that could be a, a coax gun or another hole mounted gun mm. you could have half tracks and you could have troops carried in the half tracks so you'd have counters to, to, to if mm. they were out and deployed far more detail in it you spend mm. a, again you spent a lot of time rolling the dice and working out bits and pieces but brought more realism into it mm. and that, well, so that's the thing isn't it i mean like i always got the sense that you were drawn to the simulation uh, and the depth of realism in the game yeah so what kind of drew you in i mean obviously you talked about how you're doing some like figure wargaming and then you got involved in the sort of chip wargaming which seems to me there's two advantages one is that broadly speaking a bit more portable and set up on a table and a bit more practical in that sense but i'm also getting a sense of them being more detailed games is that yeah is that fair? Yeah, I, I suppose I was a bit nerdy with it. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to be more realistic. Yeah. Uh, and even the, the weakness, really, of one of my favourite computer ball, uh, ball games is that it doesn't allow for, for tanks being hull down or turret down, mm. which the armour ones did. And I did I did take the armour, one of the armour games in with me one weekend when I was with, with a unit that had armoured vehicles. And two or three of the lads on the guard with me took it and they were really wrapped up in it because yeah. they were looking at it from a from a tanky's point of view mm-hmm. and we're getting quite heated arguments of whether that vehicle can see that or not yeah. and that, that really took it in uh, so, so that was particularly good because you had a, a big range of, of vehicles in it you could have mm-hmm. uh, instead of just a Sherman uh, and a Churchill you could have variants of it so you'd have mm. all sorts of variants in the thing same with the, with the weapon systems and of course you could build in how experienced crews were so you could add that one in to make mm. it more realistic so was it i mean the scale i mean I'll, like you said as the games got bigger scale you lost interest so what's your ideal kind of level what would you what did you well i think it depends what you want because some things are strategic yeah. i think i prefer gr- probably grand tactical the mm. ideal i think i did try and work two games at once because i had a, a war game that was really a strategic war game mm-hmm. and i tried to work in with that to when you when there was battles before you mm. switched to a different game mm. uh, at the same period and used used that uh and but sometimes just tactical ones could be very interesting because you could you could have just section levels you've got you got eight eight or ten soldiers mm. uh, and perhaps a vehicle and, and perhaps a machine gun or mortar and you could make that very detailed and well, small scale but very detailed mm. and of course you can work in which of course have been brought into the rule plan things mm. you can have people gaining more experience become more adept mm. uh, and you you sort of almost treasure them a bit so yeah. if one gets gets knocked off you sort of miss him a bit because yeah. he was pretty good and in those ones you can pick they usually have a, a, a choice of weapons you might have a that might be a machine pistol or on your rifle uh you if you have a machine gun you need two men to crew it mm. you can also really build in ammunition because in lots of games it assumes you've got unlimited ammunition which of course isn't the fact and uh, you can build that one in you can make it more difficult by starting off with not a full ammunition load that takes us into a, a neatly into talking about ambush as a game which is um it says on the front it says um solitaire squad level world war Two combat france 1944 so this is like quite detailed squad level ah, but that was another thing for me because i Sorry. didn't use the other you want to play against so, yeah. you, so you had to play solitary which is again featherstone was quite good for that mm-hmm. where you can build in you can either play almost against yourself or you can have a system yeah. that will play and usually have a randomized but but the ambush thing is is completely designed for that yeah. and so there's a, a system in there where as each event happens you can read off what's happening there and then so yeah. of course you you can't second guess it you, you are playing blind mm. so if you're you've got eight soldiers there if they're moving up a street it isn't until you read off on a card there yeah. what's happening and you've got to decide then what is happening I suppose the weakness of it is you can really only play it once because mm. uh, you could leave it later. There is a suggestion in there which I've never tried and where you could have two two people playing, mm. each of you playing half the team, if you like, yeah. and, having, and you can only confer if two of the K 
characters on the board are next door each other right. or within shouting distance nice. to, 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 to cooperate. But again, that's very detailed as to what, what weapons they got, yeah. what their skills are, uh, and, and what you're going to do. Yeah, it says on the back of the box they are like characteristic generation systems. So, I mean, this is 1983. Uh, it's Victory Games. Yeah, Victory Games Incorporated. Crikey, that takes me back. Um, and um, yeah, this is the I mean, this is the period when I was playing role playing games, like playing Dungeons Dragons, Traveller, and all the rest of it. So you can see the because the roots of role playing games are in wargaming, and it's interesting to see how the two kind of feed off each other and, uh, over time. Games like Ambush, I remember that being quite you know something I really appealed when I was a I remember, what was it 1983, so I've been about what 12. Um, so you know, good fun and. Um, it's interesting because I again I like solo wargaming just as you do. So um, you know I like solo role playing games as well. So it's it's interesting to see how the roots of what I like are in what you've been doing for you know was it been forty years or something. Um, I think it's interesting as well with wargaming to think about. I don't know. There's a, a an interplay between what's going on like in our broader culture and society and what wargames are into as well. Because I'm looking at the magazines, you know, and you've got like the oil war stuff that you mentioned earlier about the stuff going on in the Persian Gulf. And the, there's a box game here of the Arab-Israeli wars, which I remember playing a great deal of as well with you. I mean, what was the attitude to that? Was that when with playing with people, talking to people about wargames, were people open-minded about it being, you know, just picking up on the conflicts that are going on in the world and, and playing with them. Um, was there, was it frowned on? Was it, you know, what, what was your impression of that? Oh, I don't think many people I knew were, were interested in it much mm. at all. Uh, I think, I think with the, that one, the Arab, mm. Arab wars, is that you were able to, because the, luckily because the, well, there wasn't any, the Cold War was, that was Cold yeah. War period, but you were able to see there what the different forces would perform or yeah. at least how the equipment would perform not yeah. not the actual units and you could also have a an overlap there you could see because at the start both the israelis and the arab states mm. had world war Two kit mm. so you could see uh, how the sherman came on they up upgunned the sherman and, and they were still panzer falls lots of panzer falls running about in the arab mm. armies in, in the early arab wars they, they were what they had and then of course some of the Particularly, the Sherman stayed on, upgunned, and then you had the, the Russian stuff starting to come mm. in, and you could the games. Although, of course, the Russians never sold the most up, the most up to date versions of, the, mm. of their armor, but but the basic stuff was there, and you could see how it performed from there, and you could also see different tactics that they used, different systems, and they they they, they were quite interesting. Uh, and of course, American stuff was coming in, so you could see how mm. that performed. And of course, British equipment too, because Jordan bought from Britain. Mm. Some of the Israeli stuff was British stuff, so you could see how that would hopefully perform. And of course, like Chieftain was never used, never used for real by the British yeah. Army, but it was used. Uh, the Iranians had them, but a different engine. But again, that that mm. sort of you could sort of see roughly how how well it would have performed. Mm. And that worked out quite comfortable. But, but I think most people probably wouldn't interest so much in war games. There obviously was an interest, but nobody I knew was, was particularly interested in it. Mm. It's interesting as well, you talk about the articles and things. What was the quality of, of writing like that? I mean, well, I think it, was, it, was, pretty good. it was pretty good. I mean, to, to mm. the extent, I thought, I, thought he'd, I thought he'd nicked it. Um, <laughs> my grandson was doing Hastings, Battle of Hastings, and yeah. one, of the, one of the books was on that. And it had a, a very good article about about both sides yeah. uh, and again because it's such a small scale battle very detailed uh, but very playable but but it was enough in the article for him to do his essay for school pretty well I think wow. and, and get what you wanted yeah. so it was but they were they were very detailed articles. quite they were quite um, concise there were yeah. there weren't a lot of blurb in it mm. and, and you you know if you're interested in, this, in whatever it was that, that came out pretty good yeah, I always felt it was, um, um, as a youngish, you know, te teen, they were engaging. And it wasn't like um, what I remember reading the war games and the various bits and pieces. It wasn't a sort of university-level highbrow witter, but it was much yeah. more practical, down-to-earth, but also, you know, well-informed. I think they were factually correct. Yeah. So was there any particular periods that, I mean, I know that we played a lot of World War II stuff, and I know we played 
quite a lot of, of the, Arab Israeli stuff. What were you? Most of it. It's the problem. It's just a complaint now about television and films. Mm. We're, we're sort of locked into World War Two. Yeah. Because what you could get there, there's, I think you could get stuff on Vietnam, but not much. Mm. Uh, but and I, I like I like some of the ancient stuff too. I've got one sieges, but because sieges are fairly boring, there's not, mm. the, the, whoever's, <laughs> whoever's the besieged has got a relatively boring boring task because he can only respond to what's happening. Mm. Uh, but I quite like some of the ancient stuff. I don't think anyone's ever done, say, for the Mongols would be a good one. Mm. I don't think everyone ever brought one out. Uh, it would be particularly interesting because there was almost nothing to stop them. Mm. Uh, well, for quite a long time anyway, because the people couldn't react to their tactics. I don't think I've ever seen one for, for Chinese either, Chinese armies. Mm-hmm. Ah, and I suppose... Yeah, there was one for the Thirty Years' War, Breitenfeld, which mm-hmm. of course is is quite interesting because you got the the Spanish were very good at the time and their tactics and yeah. weapon systems were, were more interesting. I also like the naval stuff, and naval ones have, have all, always been difficult. Uh, you can, you can get stuff for galleys and triremes and bits and pieces, but because they that's a different style of naval warfare because they really land battles they board each other. Uh, but when you got to uh, sailing ships with guns mounted, that becomes more interesting. Wooden ships and Iron Men I've got, but I never liked that much. And I think partly because it's very American biased. Right. Uh, I thought the better one was a, a game called Frigate, mm-hmm. which was, you you could do Trafalgar on that, for instance. Uh, but of course, very complex. That's another problem where the compu- a good computer system would beat it. Because of the sail bits, you would have to, with those games, you uh, an interesting feature with them was you had to write your orders three three moves in advance mm-hmm. to allow f- to simulate the time it takes to give an order for the crew to adjust the sails and for it to take part. Mm-hmm. So having written what was going to happen three steps ahead, your opponent, of course, has got no idea what you're writing. He's doing the same, and so you expect the ship to be at point A, and because he's done something different you you're at your ship is now at point a but his ship is not anywhere mm. near where you expected <laughs> it to be which should be as it was i suppose and yeah. so whereas you thought you're going to be in there we all broadside on ready to to rake him you might suddenly find you're in the thing has been completely reversed mm. and of course that the built-in things for the rigging getting foul ships but running afoul and not wanting to be bored or ships that do want to board mm. uh they were good but they, uh, but of course they, they're, they're again they're, they're complex and they're slow. Unless, and of course you can, if you wish, have just two ships fight, which can be much. Again, the wooden ships and IMM one leans towards that, and of course they love the American War of Independence bit, where their navy was pretty efficient mm. at that. But I suppose I prefer the bigger stuff. You, you know, you the victory yeah. and, and and this these sort of things are much better, and they 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 do work pretty well. With more modern ships, I don't think I've ever found a really good board war game that did it particularly well. And a, a common problem, even with the computer ones, was they you tend to get this one hit destroys a ship, which very rarely happens. The better ones have a system um, where you work, or system works out where a hit occurs on the ship and what damage does. You might take out a turret, or you might not mm. the steering out. Uh, so you get progressive damage and the ship mm. slows down and becomes more vulnerable and you've got torpedoes taken to take into account because your problems there with torpedoes you launch a torpedo that's going to run perhaps a mile or so you need to mm. work out where the torpedo is actually going to hit again where the computer system can, can work that very comfortably but that's, that's i think some of the early that's where Napoleonic stuff is a good suppose, because you you got speed and you got a variety of weapons mm. and completely different tactical systems too. Mm. Okay, so talking about like because obviously I got involved um, with you gaming. I can't remember how young, quite pretty young, I think. Um, but what was it like from your perspective working with a pre-adolescent boy trying to get him involved in wargaming? Well, you you were quite keen. But I do remember we had, because you were, were quite young, I remember we had, and I can't remember what the game was, but you got yourself, your your vehicles were at the edge of the map, ready to come on. Yeah. And I managed, rather luckily, with, with an artillery strike, to take out nearly everything on the first turn, right. which 
rather spoilt your day, I think. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you you sort of we went on and the the Avalon Hill ones you took to, I think mm. uh, again because it, it it brings in the same thing the Games Workshops games that you need imagination with it. Mm. And I think even as a young lad, mm. you could get into the thing and you got your, your tanks and your lorries and bits and pieces mm. uh, and you, you could take on your dad almost on an equal footing with it because yeah. the, the rules are there you could understand the rules but you you, you got quite a bit out of it I think you yeah. quite enjoyed yourself with it yeah I think between us I, I personally have always enjoyed wargaming is the, ongo- the sort of emergent narrative that comes out of the game so a lot of these scenarios if we think about um the ones that are most memorable to me are the World War Tank, World War Two back tank battles. But those battles often are scenarios. Sometimes the scenarios were something historical, but often they were just hypotheticals. Mm. Um, but you could set up some units and we get into a fight, and there's this sort of ongoing and, and emerging kind of story of the battle, which I think, as a kid, inflamed my imagination and got me excited about it. But along the way, I don't know. I'd learned an awful lot about tanks military tactics um you know infantry tactics and all sorts of other strategic stuff as well um through the i mean i remember being in my mid-teens having a fairly heated discussion with friends about like the implications of modern warfare modern weapons modern you know modern systems which i've obviously picked up from a combination of wargaming and reading some of the books on your shelf as well um from the earliest days, what I remember is that obviously you worked and often out on the road and doing what you did as an engineer, and this was a really big meeting point for us. There's this, and it was model railways, wasn't it? Mm. So they were the two things that kind of we got to spend time on, which I think was really valuable. Um, I just, yeah, I'm just curious about from your perspective how that felt, whether that was important, and and what that what it meant to sort of get around the table to game for you. Having me as an opponent, did that make a difference to you? Well, I had the point, uh, the po- opponent, I yeah. think, because it's more enjoyable playing against a, p- a person than, mm. than uh, either playing both sides yeah. or, or the solitaire game, because there mm. is there is obviously the, the challenge in it, but you can enjoy it. You don't, you don't necessarily have to win, win, win. I've never been that mm. sort of... It's playing it. It's, it's the best mm. bit, and you can see whether things work and maybe they don't work. Uh, and at least having you know, another human, if you're like, rather than than, mm. than a system, because uh, one of the problems with the, with the system is once you learn the system, you can beat it. Yeah. Where a, where a, a human being is is not so easy to do that. Mm. Uh, of course, there's the emotional bit, and I suppose if you're getting upset because you lose and you <laughs> again <laughs> that's realism, I suppose you make mistakes as happens. Yeah. But uh, because it isn't nice to have, have the involvement, I suppose you got something in common. Yeah. Uh, you can go because if you remember, we that was the very early days of the Dungeon and Dragons type computer games, mm-hmm. and you were scurrying off to school, talking with your friends at school, and coming home and saying, "Oh, you can get in. There's a way in that way." Well, yeah. You know, but yeah, I remember that, mm-hmm. uh, and doing it because we got involved in those as well, mm. uh, which were really a war game but a, a, a different type of war game yeah with some of the advantages particularly but they come down to the ambush level where you'd have two or three companions and mm. they got different skills and and uh you've got an objective uh and, and off they go to find whatever it is to go and mm. that, that, that worked pretty well yeah, war games for me and gaming generally became kind of a bit of a lifesaver at school because as the bullied and minority kids, I guess, me and my geeky friends would hang out and do that. But we had our little group, you know, we had our identity and who we were about. So it was really important to us. And it was it was nice to come home. And I used to, I remember spending hours pingling through, looking through stuff, you know, and just sort of, um, I still do that, you know, collect and read and, and double around. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Squad Leader because that's a game that a lot of people know about. That was a huge um, success in the eighties, I think. Mm. For is it Avalon Hill or is that SPR? I can't remember. Yeah, which. it is Avalon, yeah, Avalon Hill. Hill. Yeah. Um, and that had N expansions. If yeah, I remember. yeah. Which what they because they could concentrate on one. I suppose what they did was pick, they could pick one area of the war. They could mm. they could take uh, the Eastern Front, or they could have a Japanese bit. They could just fit in there mm. and you had the you use the basic rules and they could bring in 
things specific to that area. There might mm. be weapons that didn't didn't crop up anywhere else, or types of soldiers that didn't crop up anywhere else, and and work it in with that one. I forgot what there is. His cross of iron, isn't it? Yeah, you got the squad leader and cross of iron yeah. as a separate member. Yeah. What I was amazed by with this game was the quality. Of, or at least I remember the quality of it yeah. being very very high, especially the boards. Yeah, the boards are very the good. Paper boards. I'm just going to open this box. Yeah, these big heavy yeah. stock cardboard. Yeah printed beautiful things, and of course really. they fit together in different combinations yeah. so you can vary vary the map yeah. by moving the having the boards laid out in different formations because they're sturdy they're not so easy to jog and mm. knock uh, and of course they're pleasing to the eye too and the counters are also good mm. good uh, very good quality and colors yeah i remember i mean hours i mean i, I know that it, especially even when you were away and stuff i would be digging this out and fiddling around with it and mucking about with it because it was they were just really absorbing you know really interesting games and um and actually i think about these being kind of complicated but i'm looking at the weapons charts and stuff on a double-sided p it isn't actually that much let's be honest they're not that hard well, once you get once you get into it no. yeah it's i guess it's the accessibility isn't it like how easy is it to learn to play these games but um now I remember us going to the games room in Norwich, and you would go and have a, a wander around the racks and often buy something. What were you looking for a lot of the time? Were you, was it complexity? Was it something different? Usually, I was more interested in the more complex games. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, because they had a very good range, as you remember, mm. and they'd usually be something that would would be of interest. Not always. Mm. Or you'd find me going, oh, I don't know, it's not really, not really me. Uh, and of course, the the uh, people in the shop were very good, very helpful. But they did a, a big range. Of course, they weren't cheap, as you remember, because mm. they got even more expensive. But even there, they started to go away from military war games and more into, more and more on the D&D &D type things, which yeah. weren't of such great interest to me. Mm. Uh, or more along almost the, sort of the Monopoly in the, uh, yeah. they were games because it is a games room mm. and of course they did figures and surprisingly they're still there mm. yeah it's been around a very long while that, that shop I don't know if it's under new ownership or what but yeah so yeah I don't know I so as the years rolled on obviously we got involved in computing as well I guess it's the third strand I didn't think about this all the strands of the different hobbies that we had but you know we did some model railway stuff especially when I was younger mm. We got into wargaming together and then computing. We built, you know, you started with your tangerine and went from there. Yeah, I think one of the best war games I remember having was a was a naval war game, and it was in incredibly basic from from a game from the game point of view because mm. there was, there's almost nothing you could see. Uh, this was running the first version I had was running on an Amiga, right. uh, and there was quite a range of ships to choose from and that really was it was a mathematical thing really because on the screen there were just circles to, mm. to show the ships with an arrow showing the direction in which they were moving the longer the arrow was the faster they were moving so that mm. gave you a visual indication of which way it was going mm. roughly how fast when the guns came in uh, if you fired the computer obviously handed handled all the calculations which mm. which is the beauty of it and decided where the hits were uh, and would decide where the hits were and the amount of damage and if you launched torpedoes of course the torpedoes would run they weren't shown on the screen but that was all whether you got a hit or no but the time the, the Amiga took to take it would take uh, minutes <laughs> so I used to you'd set the thing off to run and I'd have a book or a magazine for two or three minutes when the first PC, when I got my first PC, because it calculated in seconds, did the same thing. Yeah. But as because the early PC was running in computer uh, code, yeah. there wasn't Windows was uh, mm. wasn't there at the time. So this thing was running in uh, in just machine code. When Windows came out, that game vanished. They they just mm. didn't support it, so we lost that one. Uh, and then that was probably the, the best one I think for, for naval warfare mm. if there had been a version brought out there there are naval war games but the graphics are sometimes quite good 
but the mechanics of the game are usually fairly poor because they they have this one hit bang thing the thing mm. sinks they don't work that one out waterloo was one i got quite a good waterloo and there was a whole series of uh, especially napoleonic games which were quite detailed and again as windows developed and you got different versions of windows often the games won't run in the new version so mm. so i've had lots of games and other software that are useless here because mm. the new system won't run it uh what we did find if you remember uh was steel panthers mm. and main battle tank they were probably the best they they took the best bits of things like armor mm. uh and the graphics were quite good they had a huge range of vehicles and and you can write your own make up your own scenarios if you wish uh you, you can run campaigns there and of course you've got well, don't bother with the sound but the sound's there if you want it uh they're pretty good the there is a, a better version of, of steel panthers but the, uh i've never used it i've got it i never actually played it because the the graphics are very clunky mm. compared to the to later models. Mm. They're the ones, that, and of course, then you got the civilization type games, mm. which again were good. But I found the same with them. I found as they they brought out new versions, I'm quite happy with the old ones. Uh, but and, and, and although it's not a war game, I found the original Railway Tycoon mm. was far more interesting to play than the later versions. The graphics yeah. were very basic. But the actual game was a much more entertaining game to play than the later versions, I think. Mm. For me, with all games, it's a very tactile thing. So I remember, like early computer games, where you know I was interested in, I suppose, the more text-based adventure games and that kind of stuff, because I could that would activate my imagination and get going. The early war games on computers were, yeah, they looked kind of dull, like you said, like a circle with a, a line <laughs> or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, getting into some of the later stuff when the graphics have improved. And my problem with computer gaming over the years is it's just become more to the middle if you like the majority of people who might want to be interested in these games aren't interested in the level of kind of simulation and detail and, and everything else that i enjoy i know that um so it becomes a sort of frustrating thing for me where i think oh that looks exciting and good but when you play it it's a bit it's a bit like it looks good but it isn't actually very uh challenging and for me, you know, wargaming has always been about the combination of challenge and some of the some of the tactile element of like rolling your dice and moving your chits around and all with miniatures or whatever. That was always appealing to me. Um, so just to sort of sum it all off, really, I mean, I'm curious as to what the value of wargaming has been for you over the years. I mean, what have you got out of it? It was the form of escapism, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it was always he's playing soldiers, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. Tied in with your interests, what it sounds of it is. Yeah, well, I've always been interested in military history, or history generally, but military mm. history is a way of... Uh, well, you can you can learn from it because you can you can see yeah. different ideas that worked and ideas that didn't. I mean, the, the, the classic for me is that there's a television programme where people are making weapons, swords mm. and bits and pieces. And I always think at the end of it, well, they're all very exotic looking and wonderful, but no one ever used anything like that. And there must be a reason why they didn't make them like that, because they bloody well didn't work. Or yeah. they're over-engineered. Over yeah. I think, um, for me, I learned, uh, through Wargaming, I learned about history and military history specifically by doing it. I mean, I, the, the period I know least, I suppose, of all of them is probably the Napoleonics, or never appealed to me as much as um, more modern stuff or even the ancient stuff. But everything I've played, for me, I have a depth of understanding. And it became not just the warfare, it became some of the politics of it and the geography of it and the general history around it. And eventually it became the philosophy and everything else with it. Um, so, I don't know, as a kid, I mean, there's a good grounding in... in you know, learning tool really. Um, I I don't think I would have become a reader in the way that I did later without wargaming as well, which is really interesting. You know, coming back to things like strategy and tactics articles and things like that. That I remember those and the the rule books and the scenario booklets and the you know all the color text and the descriptive stuff. That being the thing that got me into reading more than anything else. Um, and of course, another thing with it too is it, 
when you travel about, mm. if you go to visit castles, particularly castles or forts, and you can begin to see why they were where they were and why they mm. were laid out the way they were. But it sort of gives you, gives, makes that bit more interesting mm. too. So any, I mean, you mentioned like Waterloo, you wanted to get that out and play with it. Is there anything that if you were to pull two or three of these games out, and what which ones would you go for to have another crack at? Well, I'm going to try the ambush one because yep. I did, never finished that and yep. try that one again. I just think with the 40 years, Dan, you've probably forgotten the scenario. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's the main one. Yeah. The Panzer, um, you know, based on the armor hmm. system that you've got there. That's all been reissued by GMT Games in the States, and I've mm. brought up the entire selection of Panzer stuff, which gives you Eastern and Western Front, really. They haven't done the desert stuff, unfortunately, but they've done everything else, and that's been great. Um, and again, talk about this speculative game. There's a spin-off of that called um, MBT for Main Battle Tank, mm. which is a, and that's a, a speculative Cold War went hot in 1987, kind of, and it's that, I suppose that's company level kind of tank battle stuff in that era looks good fun and i've been like mucking about with that and getting back into that because that one um panzer and then think about grander strategy i always loved the rise and thought fall of the third reich which was a, a game i've spoken to about a lot um but again grand strategy you know across europe and i must have played that hundreds of times there's one thing you can see from it uh, particularly the tank battle ones is mm. the the need for for, in, for to have infantry support, mm. uh, and of course, you, the film Fury, for instance, mm. is it's entertaining. One bit of it is entertaining with the, with the they take on the Panthers, mm. but sensibly, this you wouldn't have three tanks wandering <laughs> off into the, into the countryside on their own. Mm. Uh, and there was a similar thing with the recent thing, the Valley of Tears, mm. with the same thing. You got tanks just swanning off at the commander's whim which just doesn't happen but you can see in the in the war games where particularly towards the end of the war where the Panzerfaust, the panzer shrek and the bazooka have been brought mm. out how difficult it was for tanks particularly in built-up areas or woods to operate on their own they they, mm. they were weren't exactly sitting ducks but they were extremely vulnerable in that and the, the war game and that you can really see it also, you can see, as I well remember when playing with you, the effect of the 88 in the <laughs> desert at long range because the the British tanks were, were completely helpless if they were in, in line of sight. There's nothing they could do. They, they, they were just almost sitting ducks. Mm. Uh, so that, that sort of brings that out. Yeah, I think for me that um, what I really enjoyed about the games uh, in that regard was you... I suppose you vicariously uh, in, a, in a simulation, but you get a sense of what it might have been like. So, yeah, like I said, we're talking about the example in the desert, but in face, the the sheer pointlessness of advancing towards a line of 88 thugging in the desert at long range with your remarkably rubbish British tanks, uh, you know, armor wise, that really hit you. I think when you're playing, you, know, you have to then start figuring out how we're going to do this. You know, mm. how do I flank them? How do we pin them down? Can we bring in artillery mm. here? Can we bring an airstrike? What can you do to sort this situation out? And I think that problem solving was what was always fascinating. You know, so the first time you'd get whooped and you'd, you thought, oh, you know, feel, get upset about it, you know, get angry about it, or whatever. But actually, what I would experience was going away and thinking about it. You know, and then coming back to the table, right, let's have another go at that scenario or a similar one. Um, and I found that uh, perhaps one of the richest things in gaming, that you're constantly able to sort of develop your thinking skills, your problems. These were interesting problems, right, that you would, you know, they're, they're fictional, they're, you know, in, in that regard, but they were just interesting. And I wonder if, again, that's not helped me in terms of like developing the skills that you need to solve problems in work and in everyday life. So I know gaming for me was always really valuable. You can also uh, put yourself in the position of the people at the time. Mm. If, you, if you can imagine being in a, in a column mm. at Waterloo, have to walk towards people that were, you knew what was coming and, mm. and, and it makes you wonder sometimes how they did it. Mm. As to, what made them still keep moving forward? 
or often again you can do it with ball game and try something you couldn't try anything particularly difficult if you're going to stick within the rules you can only do mm. what happened at the time but you can see the effect of the difference between the the tactics that the British used with the with the line as opposed to the mm. column the weaknesses and the strengths of it you can see how supply is important always has been mm. and you can also see that some things never change uh, because a man can only do 20 miles a day for so many days before mm. he just can't do it anymore. You can't move any quicker on foot. Uh, and, a, and of course, you, a good war game will build in supply to a great extent, uh, where if you've got horses, which they did help until even the Germans in the, in the Second World War, the horses, they've got to be fed. That means you've got to have horses pulling carts full of food mm-hmm. for the horses. Mm. Uh, I think one thing that probably isn't built in the Wolf War games, I think it was sieges, is disease, mm. particularly in siege warfare. They don't seem, I don't think, think about it, I don't think they allow for that one. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. They do. They, of course, they should do because that was the thing that could yeah. often cripple it. So, um, the demise of it for you when you moved, because you stopped buying and playing war games, um, was that simply because? Uh, you moved to computer. Was that a computer? I think, was that mainly, moving away? I, was I that? think because the, com- the computer brought in other bits and pieces. Because if you remember at the time, com- com- the early computers, uh, you you were more involved in them. Mm. Uh, I mean, everyone I talked to remembered at the time. You went and bought the computer magazine, and in the magazine would be a program, uh, and of course most of them were geared up for Sinclair stuff, mm. but the computers I had at the time the basic was very similar to Spectrum and you could very quickly learn from other magazines the differences in in the symbols Mm. and so you could very quite quickly convert the program that was written for a Sinclair Mm. into your uh, Amiga for instance Mm. or MZ80K was another one wasn't it and then the other thing you found with them everyone remembered this was they were always false in the programs in the magazine so you'd spent an hour or two hours keying it all in yeah. and then it didn't work and then the, perhaps the real fun came in there was then you finding out for yourself what where the fault was yeah. and you would correct it uh, when the PC came on the scene of course the, the games you get now with the PC you don't need to be able to program at all yeah. in fact I found Visual Basic very hard to to understand at all and then I realised I got no use for it mm. uh, I used to use basic to generate games for it or generate mm. the, the um, characters for games, characters mm. or the vehicles or the forces yeah. completely at random and you could feed in you could build it up so that f- stuff was only available say tanks for instance in the second world war, you could only have in there the tanks that were actually available at the time mm. so you couldn't have sort of 1940 and have tigers running about you could only have mm. what was there and that was another thing in another war game we've got is early tanks that's from sort of 1918 to 1930 Mm. so you've got the very early stuff obviously the the wars that are involved are are quite the Spanish Civil War Mm. but you can also see in there the advantages and that actually the the French tanks were better than the German ones at the time Mm. again this is the way the war game you can see it was the way they were used where the French were using them in yeah. in penny packets and supported infantry and the Germans were using inferior tanks very often but more of them and, and using them much more inventively and, yeah. and, 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 and you know, a different style altogether all good well thanks I'm going to natter about it and let me record it because it's dead important um, any sort of last words on wargaming um, what you think about it what you value of it or anything there no, I, yeah. I, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy it. Oh, you, you, often you can pick up uh, a book and think oh, that would make a, a good thing for a war game in there or, or a scenario for a war game. You could work mm. that out. I'm, I'm still looking for a good naval one. I still keep looking for one, but <laughs> can't find one. All right, well, thanks for nattering, and mm. um, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Mm. And that's it. Big thank you to my dad, Bob Webster, for giving me the opportunity to record our chat. And a big thanks to you for listening. 
If you have questions, please feel free to call into the show via anchor.fm slash RPG Rescue, where you can click on the message button. Next time, we should be able to respond to a few messages from recent episodes, but it'd be great to hear your questions from this one. As ever, a big thank you to John from Tale of the Manticore podcast for the theme music. And well, that's it for this episode. Lots for me to think about, and I hope that you found it illuminating too. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.